At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Captain's Log, Stardate 101313.7. Mr. Spock has beamed down to the surface by himself against Captain's orders to retrieve something he called the Power Stone. Illogical, if you ask me. Last report from the Vulcan was that he came across a man down on the surface and they were going to look for it together. Calling him Star Lord, how embarrassing for him. One can only hope that they found no trouble down on the planet and that when, not if, they find this power stone and they can share it amicably. If not, then I pray for the souls caught in the crossfire of that battle. It's the Federation versus the GOTG. It's half Vulcan versus half Spartoy. It's Mr. Spock versus Star-Lord. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavzi, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stekanis. We have another classic in the making. In one corner, we have Spock, Star Trek's most popular and legendary Vulcan, versus Star-Lord, the leader of Marvel's quirkiest group of galactic defenders. As usual, I did the patented Who Would Win Google test, just to see how many times this match has been discussed, and this matchup has never been discussed before. I looked at everywhere. This is mind-blowing. Ray, this is mind-blowing. I thought clearly this is an I obvious so. matchup that has to have been... It, it really has not. However, the matchup that has been discussed... A billion times, maybe five billion times, was Captain Kirk Kirk versus Star-Lord, right? That makes a lot of sense. 
As weird as that is, it's, it's just never been done before. So yet again, The Who Would Win Show brings you, the legion of audience, a premier and never before discussed geek battle. Ray, what are your thoughts in today's matchup? Well, first off, I mean, uh, uh, respect where it's due. This was uh, suggested originally by Steve Johnson on Facebook, and I want to give him full credit for being the person who sort of pierced the darkness. And there were a lot of bad suggestions. I don't even think we did a poll this week. Uh, why bother? But Star-Lord really stuck out. So we got to the boardroom. We saw what Steve posted, and we were like, hey, this guy's making good points. Let's make it happen. You got half alien versus half alien, both in space, both in competing space fantasies. Both still popular. Let's make this happen. I am in shock that it's never been done before. On a side note, this has probably been, you know, I remember that boardroom meeting for this. It was the quickest we've ever gotten to a final decision. So fast. Absolutely unanimous. It was like it happened within seconds. Normally, it's hours, sometimes days of back and forth text messages, yelling, Ray crying in the fetal position in the shower because once he gets out with his face all red, no one can tell he was crying. Just craziness. But this... This actual meeting was like five seconds. Suggestion made, accepted. All this was good. Now, Ray, you know, this is an insane matchup. And, you know, one of the things that people don't understand about you and I is that we're not 100% full-time on who would win. We spend a lot of time on who would win. Maybe more than we even should. Not really. More than we should. But we both have other things we do, right? And you've been telling us about this great project involving, uh, I think, being produced by Crystal Storm, one of the most popular fan-favorite judges on the Who Would Win show. Tell the Legion of Audience about this cool thing you're doing. Yeah, it's called Legacy, a Star Wars audio drama, and Crystal Storm is the writer, producer, editor, uh, superstar. She's also the uh, VO star of the production, and I do want to give Crystal Storm, although I do not always agree with her decisions on the show, I will agree (laughs) that I am a great fan of the Legacy show. I played two roles on this show, including Emperor Palpatine, so the previous battle really still doesn't sit very well with me. Quite frankly, James Gavsey, I'm going to play a character... And then come on the show and he's going to lose uh, a horrible. No, that was that was that was atrocious. But my point is, if you go to at uh, Almighty Ray on Twitter or at uh, Writer Streamer uh, is Crystal Storms Twitter account, there's going to be links everywhere. You can find Legacy, a Star Wars audio drama on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you podcast. It's going to be on there. And we just dropped episode two. Uh, I don't believe I'm in that one either, but I will be in the show at some point. <laughs> I swear, uh, I like characters just don't appear until a little bit later on in the story. You know, I think you should also be in another cool series starring uh, where you're where you're your RoboCop, another character that you've repped in Lost Horribly with. Maybe do a discussion between Emperor Palpatine and RoboCop about how much they both dislike you repping them on the Who Would Win show. Man, I, I thought about including Green Lantern and Spider-Man in there, too, to represent all your failures I on have the show, quite a few, James. No doubt, no doubt. Although I'm still allowed in my hometown. Can you say the same about Detroit? I mean, that's a fair. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't fight that. I'm not. <laughs> all right. And, and everyone, Legion of Audience, please go and support that. Crystal Storm is awesome. A great friend of the show. On a side note, I'm a producer, producing a lot of different stuff. A lot of you know that. I recently executive produced an independent film that just came out called As It's Remembered. Great independent film. It's a story of love loss and hopefully regained through time travel, murder, and more time travel, all at a deep cost to the person trying to rectify the time stream. Again, lots of fun. Great cast, great actors, whole thing. It's currently available to rent and buy on Apple and Amazon. There's a reason why I'm bringing this up, Ray. Why you, you're working on great projects and we're working on great projects. I'm working on great projects, I should say. The reason is because, among many other things, the Who Would Win 
fan base, the, the Legion of Audience, we're a community. And one thing that Ray and I, we disagree on everything, but this is what we do agree on, that we want everyone who's working on cool projects, comic books, work, independent film, audio dramas, podcasts, whatever you're doing, feel free to broadcast that on the social media platforms of who would win, all of our accounts. If it's on Twitter, tag us. We'll retweet it, give you a signal boost. If you're on the, the Facebook who would win group, please post up there. Our communities are awesome. We support everything we do. There's benefits with being a fan of the show. Put on your projects on our social media platforms, tag us, whatever, and we'll give you a signal boost. Ray, I'm sure you're in 100% agreement where people should reach out to you personally on a daily basis. Maybe even give you a phone call. We'll put his number out at the end of the show and contact Ray to give him give you a signal boost as well. Let's not get crazy about this, James. I do enjoy helping out our fans when they have projects, but please, please, please don't, don't ever talk to me. You don't want to talk to him. He's a lot of fun. All right. Now, speaking of interesting projects, interesting people, it's time to introduce our guest judge. Making another appearance on the Who Would Win show, it's the voice of Tim Drake from Young Justice. It's Red Hood from the Injustice video game. It's Licorice Cookie of the Cookie Run video game. And it's Akatsu in the new anime Prince of Tennis on Funimation, or maybe it's Crunchyroll. It's the one and only Cameron Bowen. Cameron, welcome back to Who Would Win. Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be back. Now, Cameron, we, we see you all over the place on social media. We've said this about other judges as well. Now you're on TikTok blowing things up over there. Tell the Legion of Audience about Licorice Cookie and Akatsu from Prince of Tennis. Okay, so these were both Japanese dubs. I think Licorice Cookie might have – he's he definitely was other – he's got other uh, languages as well. But I've never played a role like that. He's like a – he's a dark wizard cookie – He's a cookie. So this in this game, everyone's cookies. Um, and this guy's this guy wanted to be a wizard, but no one really believed in him. So he went over to the dark side. Ooh. But he's got this like real need to be loved and to be validated and accepted. And so he says these things like, you know, let me show you real power. But he's always got these little noises before and afterwards because he doesn't he's not fully confident all the time. Right. So it's been an absolute blast to play him. And when I first auditioned for it, it was on camera. And so I thought it was like a, you know, like a, a motion capture or something. And then I come to find out it's this little tiny cookie. And uh, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> and I've now done multiple sessions and multiple there's episodes in this game, which I've never done a game like that. Right. So the character's growing and like I'm discovering new things about the voice where like he sounds different when he's performing for you know the whole kingdom as opposed to when he's talking to people that he respects or that he idolizes it's just been a blast i mean i i typically don't get to play a lot of like guys that are considered bad you know even if they aren't on the inside anyway that's been a blast akatsu is a middle school tennis player who sounds like this and he's got great <laughs> hair so he's a pretty cool middle schooler um and he's one of the best tennis players you'll ever meet he loves Mont Blanc cookies, and uh, he will fight you if you eat the rest of them. Will Will we ever see an episode, a crossover episode, where Licorice Cookie and Akatsu kind of team up and join forces due to their, you know, one being a cookie and the other loving cookies? Gosh, I hope so. I mean, I would love to play these characters for the rest of my life. I've had so much fun. You know, part of the thing about the pandemic was that I had to record a lot from my booth, mm -hmm. right? And it's hard sometimes, especially with like the the more energetic characters or with, with some more of like the battley stuff. And I'm not kidding, like these two characters specifically, it was, it's just been a pleasure the entire time. 
every time I go in there, it feels like the time just, it's like a snap. I did get to go in a couple of times to record the licorice one, but uh, all of the anime one has been inside my my booth. And um, I, I just feel so much power from it. And I think that you can maybe hear that in it. I feel like as the show progressed, I became way more comfortable doing my own, you know, turning up my game, you know. We've got a great episode. We got Ray on his A game, by the way, trailing because the last two episodes haven't given him that that victory he's wanted so bad. Me on a two win st- uh, winning streak. Everything's going great. So with all that being said, Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing Star Trek, the half man, half alien who not only travels the galaxy, he also taught a generation of boomers that they should stop hitting their kids. Spock. And look, you got to have a reference level to enjoy this show fully (laughs) and representing Marvel Comics, the half human, half alien who travels the galaxy after going missing in comics for decades because fans wanted to see Gamora him Star Lord. (laughs) Not bad. Not bad. Good morning. All right. Well done, Ray. Before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Who Would Win match, which are brought to you by Indeed.com, one of the great sponsors, and by the Geek and Game Facebook community, the best place, in my opinion, for all things to do with geek culture. Here are the rules. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality, and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Right, there's a lot of, uh, or actually a few versions of Star Lord running around out there in the, in you know the multiverse. What version will you be using today? Today I'll be using the 616 Marvel version of Star Lord, which coincidentally, since the movies have come out, has morphed to just become the guy from the movies. Isn't life crazy? That is insane. All right, well done. I will be using Spock. Uh, you know the. Canonical Spock from the 1960s series all the way through to even some of the films that have recently come out. All right. Rule number four. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five. The winner of the debaters, whomever the judge decides, has the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes. And finally, rule number six. The judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Hoodwin store to get your very own Hoodwin merchandise and accessories. Go to the Hoodwin Facebook page to get your hands on some Hoodwin merch right now, or at least after the show, because it's awesome. By the way, it's time to celebrate the Hoodwin Patron of the Week. Every week, we choose one of our amazing members of the Hoodwin Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today's Patron of the Week is another new patron to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Show. Welcome, Jerry Armstrong. Jerry Armstrong is our featured patron of the week. So with a last name like Armstrong, we've got to give this person, someone who's a little powerful, a little quirky, a little off the wall, someone like Bizarro. Bizarro. Now, the problem is now Bizarro is the opposite of Superman, as we all know. And Lex Luthor has been trying to take out Jerry Armstrong for a very long time. 
He took some of Jerry Armstrong's DNA. He put it into one of these machines and then let it process for a certain period of time. We all know that what he opened up the bizarro chamber like 10 years too early. And that's why he became this kind of messed up clone of Superman. Well, with Jerry Armstrong, he actually let it run for the entire 25 year period of time, creating a perfect Superman like clone of Jerry Armstrong, who is its own bizarro. The problem is Jerry Armstrong took one look at him, backhanded him in the face, and knocked him into the sun. So obviously, we all know a clone, a duplicate, not as good as the original. Just ask the Friday the 13th movies. So my point is, Jerry Armstrong one-shots Bizarro of Jerry Armstrong to the sun with minimal difficulty. I wish we could have come up with a stronger opponent, but it's hard with a character like Jerry Armstrong. Bizarro can destroy a planet way too weak for someone like a Jerry Armstrong. Way too weak. Well yeah. done, Ray. That's exactly how this fight would go. Now, remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring, you can invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to US Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. Indeed's gonna do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WWW. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WWW. Indeed.com slash WWW. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes, you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. 
Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force, and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And now, let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Star-Lord. Star-Lord, a.k.a. Peter Quill, is the half-human, half-spartoy leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. He was created by Steve Englehart and Steve Gann and first appeared on Marvel Preview number 4 back in 1976. Galactic warrior Jason crash-landed on Earth and was taken in by one Meredith Quill. The two bonded during his time on the planet, and later Peter Quill was born. When Peter was 10 years old, Badoon soldiers showed up, killed his mom, blew up his house, and assumed Peter was dead, thus ending Jason's bloodline. But Peter survived, did everything he could to make it up to space, and kick alien butt every step of the way and every chance he could. Fun fact, Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn has gone on record as saying that not only was Chris Pratt not his first choice for the character, he refused to even consider the chubby guy from Parks and Rec at all. It took smart casting director to keep banging the drum for Pratt, who 20 seconds into his audition convinced Gunn that he was in fact the guy for the part. Oddly enough, had Pratt not gotten considered at all, Gunn has put on record his first choice for Star-Lord was Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. What? And while, yeah, no doubt he could have pulled it off, sure, in hindsight, that feels real weird. <laughs> but in any case, that is Star-Lord. That's crazy. I, I can see the logic, but I think the right choice was made. I think so, too. Okay, cool. Uh, here are the important details for Spock. Now, created by the legendary Gene Roddenberry, Spock first appeared in the pilot episode of Star Trek, the series titled The Man Trap, back in 1966. Spock, whose full name is generally considered unpronounceable by humans, is a male-human-slash-Vulcan hybrid who lived during the 23rd and 24th century and became one of the most distinguished and respected figures in the United Federation of Planets. As a Starfleet officer in the 23rd century, Spock served aboard the starship USS Enterprise as a science officer under Captain Christopher Pike as first officer and science officer under Captain James T. Kirk and as the commanding officer of the Enterprise during his tenure as a training ship. In the 24th century, Spock became an advisor to the leadership of the Federation and a celebrated ambassador on their behalf. He disappeared in the year 2387 after saving the Federation from a supernova that destroyed Romulus and caused the creation of the alternate reality where Spock spent the remainder of his life. And here's an interesting fact about Spock. Did you know that Leonard Nimoy was not the original actor they considered for the role of Spock? It's true. Ray, I'm kind of going to mirror your point here. Hmm. Look, when we watch the original Star Trek series from the 1960s, we really can't picture anyone else but Leonard Nimoy playing the role. But evidently, the execs for the show absolutely could. Of the people who were originally considered for the role were Bones himself, DeForest Kelly, a.k.a. Dr. McCoy. However, there were several other actors also considered. 
Adam West, a.k.a. Batman, which would have made for a kind of a cool back and forth with William Shatner. Uh, let's see. There was one other person considered who I think would have killed it as Spock. And I'm kind of really wondering about this. It was Nichelle Nichols herself, a.k.a. Lieutenant Uhura, who originally auditioned for the role of Spock. And yes, she would have been great, absolutely. And here's another interesting fact about Nichelle Nichols. Did you know that she was originally up for another role in Star Trek that was taken out of the original series but then added to the Star Trek Next Generation series? It's true, possibly. Some believe Nichelle Nichols may have actually auditioned for the role of Number One, a character which was cut before filming the first episode of the original series and whose role as First Officer was also handed to Spock. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Cameron, do you have any questions before we get started? What is a Spark toy? Because I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but I still don't really understand what, I understand what a Vulcan is, but I don't understand what a Spark toy is. I mean, the thing is, they they used a different uh, a character to be his father in part two. Kurt Russell plays Ego, the living planet, and they sort of filled him into that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we were to look at the official Marvel database, the Spartoy hail from the planet Spartax. Uh, and they crafted a small empire from the outlying systems, so they kind of remind me a little bit of ancient Rome. And basically, through all of this, their king, Jason, the, the king of the Spartoys, that's a pretty big deal, the Caesar of their crew, is the father of Star-Lord in the official comic books. Now, that's different, obviously, than the movies where it's Ego, the living planet, totally separate character. So just, you know, they're aliens. They're they're better physically than humans are, and I'll get into that a little bit because he shares that bloodline, which helps him out in combat. Uh, so you'll hear some examples about why, but just think of them as, you know, similar to Vulcans in the fact that they're a more physically gifted uh, alien race that also works with humans. Gotcha. Excellent. Great question, by the way. That's a good question. All right. Now, other than that, any other questions before we get started? No, I think we should just jump into it. Coming in with a clean slate. Let's do it. I love it. All right, Ray Sicanus. Let's get this battle started. Hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Star-Lord. And heck, you just brought it up. Let's talk about the physicals. Because he has the half-alien DNA of the Spartoy. And that means that he has better-than-human abilities physically. Now, this is what allowed him to do a lot of the things he did. You know, he joined NASA at one point. Uh, He really tried to do everything he could to get up into space because he knew aliens were real and he wanted to get up there and kick their butts for what they did to his mom and his house and everything else. So with the half alien DNA of the Spartoy, he has beyond level peak human strength. One point he fought Ronan the Accuser, who is a big, powerful Kree overlord. I think we remember him from the movies. That's relatively representative of his power. He's a real, real tough character. Star-Lord just started hauling off on him and was able to push him backwards through a flurry of attacks. Now, could he actually hurt Ronan the Accuser? Let's keep it real. This guy is, you know, uh, uh, not quite Thanos, but on that you know, peak of power that you're not necessarily going to bring him down with a couple of punches to the face. But the fact he was able to physically move him shows that he just has very high levels of strength. No regular human was ever going to be able to do that. He also has uh, beyond peak human agility, peak human durability as well. He once survived a hit from the Phalanx Blast Star, which was one of Ultron's weapons. It was a big, powerful energy attack that hit him. It brought him down, but he was able to get up and keep going despite the fact that Ultron is Ultron and that attack is meant to, you know, kill people. 
Let's just keep it real right there. He also tanks huge falls, and this comes in handy a lot, being his Star-Lord. Uh, he, he just falls from great distances and just gets up no problem all the time. He tanks huge blasts from energy weapons. I already brought up the Phalanx Blastar, but one of his big things that he does seemingly all the time in comics is he gets hit with some sort of an energy weapon, either when he's not ready or when he's caught off guard per se, and then he gets hit by it, and then is able to just keep fighting, able to keep going, and those are the kind of shots, you know, a phaser shoot to kill, for example, that would bring someone down for good, but Star-Lord can take those kind of blasts and get up and keep going, and I think that's hugely important in this battle. Another thing to mention is that he's a master hand-to-hand fighter. Look, I've seen Spock fight. <laughs> I've seen Spock fight Kirk. I'll be bringing up that battle a little bit later as an example of why Star-Lord should be able to wipe the walls with him uh, or left to right to center to everywhere. But my whole point here is that he is a master hand-to-hand fighter. He uses great techniques to the point where he advised the Kree, a combat, you know, galaxy-conquering race. He advised the Kree in how to perform combat moves. He essentially was what Steven Seagal is in Russia... Star-Lord is to the Kree, teaching them how to fight. Now, the last thing I want to talk about here is he also has an alien brain because the DNA goes all the way through all aspects, not just physical, but mental as well. Because he has a faster brain than a human, it makes him able to do a whole lot of computations and spin forward what's going to happen. A lot like Sherlock Holmes, the Robert Downey Jr. version where he can play out events before they happen and then choose the correct ones to get the uh, result that he would like. But he uses the alien brain to make himself an expert tactician, both as far as planning macro aspects of battles, but also in a one-on-one confrontation as well. And he's also a great pilot on top of it because he's got the nerves, he's got the physicals, and he's got the mental ability to kind of take it all in and process quickly and make great decisions in the moment. Yes, he's a lovable goofball, but there is a B.A. at the heart of Star-Lord, and that's my point number one. Got to push back on some of this. Now, first of all, he's a great character, right? No doubt. And the movies really kind of demonstrated a lot of great things about him. Now the comic book character version is getting some uh, you know, time in the limelight. Love all of that. So first of all, uh, you said that he had to avenge what happened to his mom and his house. Mm-hmm. Are you saying Star-Lord is more upset about his house being destroyed than his mom being killed? Ray Sicanus. If so, you're a monster. James, it's a rule of three, and if you start with the mom, let's face it, the other two are not going to go uh, as as powerful, so I probably should have put the mom third. Look, these things happen. I I just thought it was comical. I know what you're saying. I just thought, you know, he's he's taking action against what happened to his mom and his house. Like, that's, you know, that's, it's a nice house, by the way. Beautiful house. Beautiful house. uh, It was big. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's nice uh, construction. Um, okay, so I do agree that he can take he can tank a lot of stuff. Um, however, he does when you say tanks energy blasts, he can survive them, but it does take him a while to get back up. It's not like it's an instantaneous kind of thing. By the way, that's not a slam on Star Lord. The fact that he can survive insane energy blasts that's really really cool. But these are energy blasts. A phaser is quite different, which I'll I'll kind of provide some details on later. And really, my biggest pushback of all, you're comparing him to Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. Just want to put this out there that Steven Seagal is a considered a joke in the martial arts community, whether it's MMA or traditional martial arts. If you're saying he's like Steven Seagal. Spock just has to show uh, James. up, you know, run five circles around him, and he's done. Just James, putting that out Steven there. Seagal, so I'm going to push Steven back on Steven Seagal that. might be a joke in this country, but over in Russia, that man is revered. 
I know. He's, uh, he, he's giving the military tactics and strategies on how to overtake their enemies. And, you know, what could be, what, how could that go wrong? Is all I'm saying. Let me get to my point number one right now. And, you know, I'm going to take a similar point uh, or similar uh, stance on this. Let's talk about, you know, the physicalities of Spock. Now, Spock is a Vulcan and Vulcans are superhuman, at least considered human beings. Spock has all of their physical capabilities only to a greater degree. And I'll kind of go into more detail about this. So let's talk about Spock's logical mind. First of all, he doesn't allow fear, negativity or anything else to cloud his judgment when in the middle of a battle. This is crucial because when he's facing off against a random opponent who's as versatile is Star-Lord, with the great things that Star-Lord can do, it's going to be his logical mind, his ability to observe, quickly analyze, and come up with a solution that's going to get him the victory. It's something he's done many, many times throughout the Star Trek series and even some of the Star Trek films. Uh, let's see, we've seen him many times save people, outfight other beings because he applied logic, quick observations, position himself better, or to take advantage of a weakness or that no one else can see except for him. And Spock's logic would help him spot Star-Lord's big weakness very quickly. More on that in my point number three. Also, due to his Vulcan heritage, Spock's strength, durability, and speed all of these are magnified beyond a typical Vulcan level. Uh, look, it's stated in an episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that a Vulcan has three times the strength of a human and at least twice their speed. All of this due to the fact that the planet Vulcan evidently has higher gravity, harsher conditions than Earth, giving Vulcans what they call their enhanced physical abilities. However, Spock, as a Vulcan, has a few more capabilities than just enhanced strength, speed, and durability. Spock has sensory perception well beyond the human norm that can be described as superhuman. His ears uh, intensify sound waves, evidently, which will make it easier for him to detect where Star-Lord is. If he takes a defensive position, he can shoot him or tries to do some whatever. Spock's going to find exactly where he is or be able to create a divisionary attack. This is stuff he's all done before. In other words, it's going to be really hard for Star-Lord to sneak up on Spock or to in any way catch him by surprise. Spock, by the way, also has superhuman pain tolerance due to the fact he can control pain through his mind. That's actually really cool. He's been stabbed, hit with boulders, shot in the back with a musket for God's sake, and was able to take all of that. On top of that pain tolerance, Spock had superhuman durability. He was able to be hit by lightning and get up a few seconds later. He's been blasted by high-powered lasers, taken massive falls from great heights, and he's taken like insane physical damage at superhuman levels. By the way, if you want to see examples of Spock's durability and what he can do strength-wise and fighting-wise, it's all chronicled beautifully in the 1970s Star Trek uh, cartoon series, which I knew really nothing about until I did research for this. All of his physicals, for some reason they didn't focus this on the live action show they saved it for the animated show which is canon by the way and spock is an absolute beast it's crazy spock's also a super genius he's one of the greatest tacticians of the 23rd and 24th century remember in star trek 2 i think it was back in the 80s and kirk outmaneuvered khan who's a super genius genetically enhanced human who's one of the greatest military leaders in like the 21st century or something so the way kirk figured out how to do all of this stuff and outmaneuver khan was because spock told him that Khan was a one-dimensional thinker, and that's what gave the idea to Kirk to do what he had to do. It was Spock who figured out Khan, which led him to being defeated so badly by Kirk. In terms of fighting, Spock has had training in both Vulcan martial arts and Starfleet martial arts. He's outfought Captain Kirk, who's thought to be one of the greatest combatants of the 21st century. So the cool thing is, powerful as Vulcans are, Spock's actually way more powerful than a typical Vulcan because he's a Vulcan-human hybrid. In, uh, what was it, The uh, one of the recent uh, Star Trek movies, I believe it was... Um, Star Trek Into Darkness. That was it. Spock had to chase down Khan, that same character I mentioned before, and Khan had five times the strength, five times the speed, uh, five times the durability as a human. Spock kept up to him shot for shot, jumping the same distance, chased him down in a city and actually, you know, had him and was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with this guy the whole time. 
That's who Spock is. He's a Vulcan-human hybrid, way more powerful than a regular Vulcan, and way smarter as well. And on top of that, a great fighter. All of that is my point number one. Okay, James. Now, hold on. I got to push back on some of this stuff right here. Okay, Spock gave Kirk a thing, a piece of information about Khan. So, therefore, Kirk outsmarted Khan. Therefore, Sm- Spock outsmarted Khan. Transitive property does not work here. That's like saying Burgess Meredith Mickey told Rocky to get up against Clubber Lang. So he, uh, obviously Mickey beat Clubber Lang. No, that is not how anything works. Stop it. Stop it. In fact, I think Mickey might have died in the Clubber Lang one. But you get my point. It doesn't matter. Now... <laughs> The logical mind. Now, one could imagine that if he perceives himself as being so logical that if somebody does something a little off the wall, he's going to be thrown by it because he's going to expect logical moves and won't know what to do with somebody acting in an off-the-wall manner, and that's how Star-Lord carries himself in combat. A little avant-garde, but it does work for him. I've got a couple more things to say, but I'm going to space this out. Uh, I love where this is going, though. Great research on your part. I love that you watched the cartoon for this because somebody had to. <laughs> Listen, the cartoon was enjoyed by dozens of people throughout. The, I don't even know if that's a true statement, by the way. I, I thought it was kind of cool um, in some parts. All right, Cameron. Yes. Cameron Bowen. Good, sir. You've heard points number one from both Ray and myself. Where is your head at with this battle so far? Woo. You know, it's very, very close. I mean, they share a lot of properties, and I'll be interesting to 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 hear how you guys go about that. Ray talked about Star Lord's durability. Uh, I didn't hear much about Spock's durability. You said that he could jump from he could he could he could withstand a fall, and that he got lightning. Sure, sure, but it was mostly about how and phaser blasts. Sure, and what but it was you. mostly about how he can evade, right? And I didn't hear anything about that. From Ray about uh, I know that you said that Star Lord has the alien brain and so he can sort of outthink others. But did you say anything about his speed? Uh, he does. He does have beyond uh, peak human speed well, what and does agility. That mean, peak human. So like he's like the best of the humans speed wise. So like Usain he's Bolt. Better than the the best. He, he's faster than Usain Bolt. Okay. Yes, that would be correct. And he would have the agility. And I'm going to get into a little bit in this in my later points because he has the tech to assist him. Right. But he can't. He can move. He can move. Uh, he can move very, very well. He could dodge, you know, gunfire and all the other things. I almost don't even mention dodging gunfire anymore when it comes to Marvel characters because yeah. every single one of them can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the, sure. I did want to ask about the um, his uh, Spock's like enhanced hearing. Were you talking? Was it like sonar? Like so he can use his hearing to map out the location so he knows where Star Lord is. Is that what you said? It's close to that. It's not like a sonar or an echolocation. It's just more that his set, his hearing is so many levels above what a human can hear that he can actually like pinpoint where people mm. are based off hearing them breathe or a movement or what have you. So he can actually, the moment there's even the tiniest bit of noise that for all of us, we would just not hear whatsoever. He can hear it and pinpoint exactly where someone is or where they're behind or what have you. Okay, well, so then I think at this moment, that probably gives Spock the upper hand, just where we're at. But I'm excited to hear more. I love it. All right, cool. Ray, this is going to be a fun one with a lot of craziness. Go ahead and hit us with your point number two. 
point number two for Star-Lord and why, Cameron, I understand why you're coming down the way you are right now. Of course, I disagree with it, but I'm going to show you why, obviously, uh, Star-Lord wipes the floor with uh, Mr. Spock. And that's one of the reasons is damage output. You know, you talk about what Spock is capable of doing. Now, he has the phaser, and I know, James, he would be crazy if he didn't bring up the phaser at some point. The phaser shoots a beam of light, and it hits somebody, and it can weaken them. It could potentially kill them, you know, and and that's really all he's got is this one little clicky uh, that he shoots people with. Star-Lord has something called the Element Gun, which has not appeared in the movies, but wouldn't you know it, I'm talking about the comic book version of the character. And the Element Gun has the ability to projectile out all four of the elements uh, that exist in the world and then can, like, combine them with other things as well to create new abilities. So the four elements, let's talk about it. He has the ability to project air. Now you think, ooh, an air cannon, that's rough, but I've seen him effectively shoot hurricanes out with this cannon. He can shoot out wind so fast that it's literally knocking over buildings, throwing people backwards. What good is echolocation going to do in a giant wind tunnel? The answer is very, very little, if not nothing at all. I've not seen Spock endure high-speed winds that can literally tear the tops off of buildings, knock trees over, and send armies tumbling backwards down the street. If he was to launch the air attack at Spock, Spock is going flying, potentially battlefield removal right there, and Spock has nowhere else he's going to be able to go. I've seen him use the earth power to cover somebody in rocks, to literally have the rocks uh, uh, coat their entire body, preventing them from moving. I know. I know that Spock is a very strong character, but at the end of the day, if you coat him in granite... He's going to be immobile. He's not going to be able to move. And immobilizing somebody, once again, is a way to achieve victory on the Who Would Win show. Let's talk about water. We don't need to say much about water. Let's face it. The water ability is pretty lame. I've seen him kind of shoot torrents at people before, but the other powers are considerably more cool. So I want to spend more time talking about them because the fire ability, the fire ability projects effectively what a phaser can project. It shoots out an arc of fire forward that I've seen blow the hole in a ship. Now, I've seen people use phasers inside Federation ships before, and I've never seen them once blow a hole to the outside, sucking everybody out. But the fire ability of the element gun has done exactly that. And of these two, we'll get into a little bit later, one of them can live in space a little bit more efficiently than the other can. That's all I'm saying. And he also has been able to merge these powers together. At one point, he shot lightning. He was able to use his element gun to shoot lightning out. Now that lightning blew people away, blasted them super, super hard, knocked out a very, very super powered character that is it, it references super powered, but not somebody I was familiar with. So I don't really want to start name dropping, but it was effectively a, a, an Amazon wonder woman type of character, but definitely not to that level. Okay. But he dropped her with the lightning when none of the other attacks would work. And they described the lightning attack as being that of which that Thor's hammer would be able to shoot out the lightning power of Thor, but in a gun that he shoots at people. And the other last thing I want to say, and one thing I found interesting and could be important is that this gun is coded to his DNA as a Spartoy, as one of Jason's uh, uh, kids. It's, it's the Jason uh, uh, DNA, which means that only he can use it. 
If Spock tries to disarm him and pick up this weapon to use against him because he sees how powerful it is, what happens? You get vaporized. If you try to use this weapon and you're not fit to use it, it will literally incinerate you down to the embers. So if Spock thinks he's so smart and tries to disarm him and use the weapon himself, he is in for a rude awakening. This gun is more powerful than anything Spock can produce. Damage output through the roof. And that's my point number two. Okay, so this is interesting because I like the element gun a lot. I think it's a great addition to the character. But here's the thing. The element gun is typically used for like big situations. You know, if he's got to, you know, you set it blasting a hole through a ship or it's a larger target or a number of opponents from far away, he likes to shoot at a distance. It's a great range weapon, but against a one-on-one opponent, that's typically where he's not seeing the massive threat right away. This doesn't fall within his character to pull out the element gun and start firing that at someone who he's not sure is even like necessary to be shooting that powerful weapon at. I'm just saying it's a great weapon. You know, James, Does he in the- use it in character in this way not really and of course we got to stay within character in the previous battle you argued that professor xavier sight unseen of a random opponent would instantly lock him down within one microsecond with his mind abilities so if we're suddenly going to talk about oh i don't think his character would do that i'm not hearing it after your arguments from last episode Let's see, Professor X mind probing his opponent right away. Yeah, that's out of character. That's exactly what he does, Ray Sakinas. A couple other things. Star-Lord's awesome, but he's really Captain Kirk light in terms of his quirkiness and off-the-wall kind of planning and what have you. Spock has already been around Captain Kirk, studied his ways of movement, his ways of thinking and what have you. In terms of being absolutely illogical, Spock has actually been there and done that for decades already. That's about it, really. I think everything else that you said was pretty much dead-on correct. Let me get to my point number two real quick. And I'm going to talk about it. Ray, you called it. This is great. Let's talk about his weapons and equipment. So he's got a few pieces of 23rd to 24th century technology on him during this fight. So the first one, it's his tricorder. Now, why is that important? The tricorder is a multifunction handheld device used for sensor scanning. We've seen it in the the 60s series. It got a little smaller the longer the series went on, the 80s, what have you. But it can literally detect what kind of tech you're up against, what the tech can do, what's up with a person's physiology, the whole thing, and give you a complete readout very, very quickly. It's a super handy piece of equipment that Spock is a master of using. He uses it all the time and has it on him all the time to read what's happening. If he needs to take a defensive position so that he has a minute or sorry, a second or two to figure out what he's facing to use a tricorder, he'll do it. And again, this is a huge advantage. When you give information about an opponent to Spock who can already create an insane plan at the moment it happens, you've given him a distinct advantage. All right. Now, the other thing he has, of course, let's talk about the face. So phasers are really insane in terms of what they can do and be used for. They're insanely versatile is really the thing. So a typical hand phaser can be adjusted. So it can merely shock someone. We've seen that before. Stun a living organism. Or while the effects of higher settings range from burning someone, which is horrible, and disintegration to true vaporization. This is a badass weapon that we've seen do crazy things and just run the gamut of capabilities. Here's a few. The versatility means they can be used as welding torches or cutting tools, create heat sources 
forces by firing a large solid objects like rock. It's crazy. Here's a fun fact. The stream of a phaser can be adjusted to strike multiple targets at once, strike a single target with precision, or even destroy large amounts of material through vaporization. I guess the molecules just come apart in instantly and the thing is gone. Phasers can also act as bombs or grenades, so they can be set to overload. overload. They build up a force chamber explosion. Uh, and let's see, so they can use it as a bomb or a grenade. They can set it somewhere, lure someone in there. Boom, they get hit. They can throw at someone like a grenade. They're insanely, insanely versatile. By the way, they can completely, uh, like I said, rip someone apart or just tear them apart molecule by molecule so that there's nothing there. And also, they can start fires in case you're you know cold outside, whatever. Very, very versatile. Let's see. On top of that, Star, uh, Spock has a lot of training using the phaser. He is an expert marksman. This is someone who's insanely accurate because, again, he's beyond peak humans, beyond peak Vulcan. He's that human-Vulcan hybrid. So being very calm, cool, under pressure, shooting at something with precision, why couldn't he use the phaser to shoot the actual element gun in case Peter Quill uses that, although I don't think he will in this. This is someone who takes a great weapon like a phaser, knows every way to use it, and knows how to be very, very accurate with it. This is, uh, again, highest level of phaser users you're going to find in the Star Trek universe. But there's another thing that he has on him from the animated series. Yes, I'm pulling from the animated series. Evidently, he has a belt. This belt is a force field belt. So when he turns it on or activates it, which somehow he does with his mind, it, turn, it creates a force field around his body that allows him to go underwater and with a breathable atmosphere, go into space. He can take hard shots with it. It is something that protects him and takes him to that next level in terms of durability. So add the tricorder, the phaser, the way he can use it, and this belt from the iconic series, from the animated series from the 1970s, that again, at least six of us have watched over the years, this is someone who uses a little bit less technology than uh, you know Star-Lord, I'll admit that, but uses it to its utmost potential in every way, shape, and form possible. That's my point number two. Okay, wait a minute. Now you're going to talk, you're going to pretend, you're going to pretend, James Gavsey, that the element gun that is the signature weapon of the character of Star-Lord in comic books is just not something he would use, and then bring up the animated series force field belt that we never saw in any movies, never saw in any TV shows, and say, yes, that's an obvious thing that Spock would have. That is absolutely nonsensical, and shame on you for even attempting it. I can only believe our judge sees through your garbo on that particular one. And oh my gosh, please, please turn his phaser into a grenade and throw it. And then Star-Lord just flies away. And then you no longer have a phaser in this battle. That would be one word, illogical. If he did that, Star-Lord wins the battle immediately. Here's hoping, James, I agree with you. He did it. He's going to lose this battle. And oh, he can start fires. Oh no, I have a gun that can shoot fire. What are we even talking about right now? The last thing I want to mention here is the famed one-on-one -on -one battle in the episode Amok Time, where Spock has to go back to the planet Vulcan because of a breeding thing he's got to do, and he has to fight Kirk in a battle, and the air of Vulcan is so thin and so heavy that Kirk can barely breathe. It's one-fifth what he needs to sustain, and after round one of that battle, they fight evenly. They fight evenly, even though Kirk, a regular human, is supremely weakened. We're not talking about any of that. This is a top-of-his-power Star-Lord, half-Spartoy. Uh, He's just as strong, just as powerful as Spock. And he couldn't beat Kirk with every advantage. He's not beating Star-Lord today. Have you seen the animated series? Of course I've seen the animated series. <laughs> you should really... 
I'll have you know I actually watched part of the animated series yeah. of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy on Disney Plus. It's excellent, by the way. Really I hear good. It's great. I, I hear wish it's great. Uh, the the Star Trek series was more like that one. Yeah, would I wouldn't base my experience. whole argument on the cartoon. That's all I'm trying to say, James. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great cartoon. Would not be anything would say ever. Cameron Bowen, you've heard two points from both Ray and myself. You're now at the turning point. This is where you have to make a decision. You have to tell us who's ahead in this battle and what the other side has to do to pull off the win. Wow. You guys did such a good job in this round, too. Uh, I, I, I feel like a, most of my questions were answered. One thing I did want to ask is that Ray made the point that, that Spot could not disarm him and take that weapon or else get vaporized. But with the phaser, anyone can use a phaser, correct? Or does it have to be a Vulcan? They'd know how to pull the trigger. They wouldn't know how to do use the settings or kind of change the settings. They definitely know how to pull the trigger. So whatever the last setting was oh, yeah. would be what would fire. Because Star-Lord would never know how to turn a dial. Oh. Um, and our, so, and just, just to make it's a sure. a hard dial, Ray. Our, hard dial. Let's make a decision now. Outside of the elemental gun and the phaser. Are we using the tricorder and the force field belt? Are, are those fair game? I mean, that's up to you. Personally, I think he would have access to the tricorder, a thing we've seen him use. I don't think we've really ever seen him use the force field belt. I have a hard time accepting that on a regular as a regular thing he would actually carry. I will say this. The force field belt appeared a number of times through the animated series. We have not seen it in live action. However, we have seen Spock use uh, jet boots. In one of the live action films, one, I actually think both count. things. Hold on, I think both count. things should actually be strucken. The force okay, field thank belt you. Thank and you. the and the rocket boots from thank the 1980s, you. which looked surprising like uh, ski boots. They did. Wow, this is uh, pretty evenly matched. I mean, I didn't know that whole battle took place with uh, with Spock and Kirk, uh, with Kirk at less than 100, percent and they were evenly matched. And and to Ray's point. I think Star-Lord is definitely more powerful than Kirk at less than 100%. The scales are tipping a little bit more towards Star-Lord at this point. This is kind of becoming a battle about tech, though, which is always hard. And so I'm still kind of undecided because it, the, it there's so much of it at this point. The, the thing that does strike me is, is the, the cerebral part. Um, you know... Star-Lord's got the, the half-alien brain, which which you said, if it's half-alien, then it's pretty much full alien, right? Especially because he's the last mm-hmm. of that di- uh, bloodline. And so there's, there's, no, there's not a different alien that's more powerful than him of that bloodline. That being said, the no fear, negativity, like specific to the battle, the fact that Spock can sort of manipulate his own brain and, and, and his, um, his experience within the battle to block out all negativity and fear. Whereas we've seen Star-Lord get rattled at times. He's a very emotional guy. This is a really tough decision. At this point, I do feel like Star-Lord has a little bit of the edge, but I haven't made a final decision yet. Interesting. All right. I like it. I mean, Mm. you know, I do think if the force field belt was allowed, that would kind of tip Spock over. Although... With that being said, I just kind of wanted to say, prove that I actually watched the series. That was it. I felt I felt that Ray was going to be like, really, James, you watched seeing- the series? At least, Ray, can you admit that you now know I did watch the series, at least parts no, of it? No, I, I recognize that you you made that happen. That's a commitment to the show. I wouldn't have been prepared It's okay. an achievement and an embarrassment, honestly, that, that you're that That's right. devoted uh, to watch a show, an animated show from the 70s that was not critically acclaimed. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm neither proud 
feel happy about that statement. I just wanted to kind of prove that we do on this show, and Ray does it too. We both do our research. That's all I'm trying to make. I'm trying to say about that. All right, too much. Ray, we're kind of neck and neck here. Things are looking like they normally yeah. do. This is where we make it or break it. Hit us with your point number three. Point number three for Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. First off, you know, you talk about he's an emotional character, and that's the case when the other members of his crew are involved, and he's doing it for other people. If he's just out on a mission, he honestly doesn't get that emotional in a random encounter kind of a situation. I've seen that as he's gone through the galaxy on missions. He generally keeps a pretty cool head about him when he doesn't have a love interest or a good friend who's suddenly in the crosshairs, and that's not the case here, so I would make that argument right away. But let's talk about his full tech, because he has, unlike Spock, Quill actually has jet boots built into his kit. He can fly. And I've said a million times, if one character can fly and the other character cannot fly, then the guy who can fly has a huge advantage over the other one. You could tricorder all day long. If I could get up there and just snipe you with the power of a hurricane from the top of a cliff that you can't get up to, you're in deep trouble even if you have a phaser at the end of the day. He also uses small arms fire, Cree weapons, tranquilizer darts. Not that that matters. He has armor-piercing rounds. Spock doesn't really wear armor. If he had that force field, maybe it would matter. The other cool thing is that Spock just is sort of out there with a t-shirt and slacks on, whereas Peter Quill actually has legitimate armor. He actually has a legitimate helmet, and that helmet will protect him for a time in the vacuum of space. So if for whatever reason we can get this battle out into space, Spock is immediately eradicated. Star-Lord, fly him up there. Fly him up there with your jet boots and then drop him off into space. Why not? You'll be safe for a period of time and can get away at that point. Now, a couple of the bigger things that I want to talk about, because James last week with Professor Xavier tried to pitch me that a normal thing for Professor Xavier is this new 2020 new comic book version where he walks, where he has Cerebro wearing it on his head as a helmet. And that really got me thinking, what is Peter Quill Star-Lord doing now in comics? Well, a couple of things that he does now is, one, he has a psychic link with his sentient space vessel named Ship. Essentially, the more I looked into what Ship's deal was, is that it's a spaceship that can carry a lot of people, that has replicators, it has uh, laser beams, and it has shields. It's the Enterprise. Ship is the Enterprise. Now, unlike needing an entire team of people to operate that ship, Peter Quill can operate it psychically through uh, uh, sentience because an AI can run the entire thing. Therefore, it doesn't count as outside people, doesn't count as outside interference. If you have psychic link to a spaceship, that should be on the table for the battle. He's got the Enterprise to shoot beams down on Spock effectively if he needs to. And in a very recent storyline, Peter Quill became a living god, known as the Master of the Sun. It's called the King in Black comic book line. Effectively, Peter Quill went through and achieved the powers of the Olympian gods, okay? He has the powers of the gods, which allows him to fight more godlike beings or Silver Surfer-level characters out there, and no one was even comparing Spock to Silver Surfer. But Peter Quill, Star-Lord, now currently in comics, James is now the master of the sun and he can channel the powers of the Olympian gods through his uh, uh, element gun. So he can actually shoot cosmic energy blasts through his element gun now currently in comics. And since I know James Gavsey, 
doesn't feel right about a battle unless we use the absolute most current iteration reboot of the character since he does it roughly every episode of this show that's ever existed. It seems only fair on my part to use the most current iteration of Marvel Comics Peter Quill who walks around with godlike powers defeating godlike creatures with his god-powered element gun. You put the fact that he's got the Enterprise at his beck and call and can shoot bombs from space and the fact that he channels a living pantheon of gods, Spock is done. And that's my point number three. Let's see. So is he, are we fighting Star-Lord or are we fighting Master of the Sun? Uh, is his name Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord? Yes, that's who we're fighting. He is also the Master of the Sun. But he still has some human frailties. Which is interesting, because he still needs his element gun. If he was the master of the sun and all these powers. And by the way, I'm not um, disparaging any of that. I actually do think it's a good tactic to bring up what is the recent... I do agree, he has recently kind of got this powerful thing, but he still has a lot of human frailties to him, which Spock can take advantage of. So, what can I tell you, James? I learned from the second best. The second best, that's right. Okay, so let me kind of talk about a couple of things here. I do actually agree that he's got a psychic connection to his ship. If you don't have to call it using tech, if you can just use your mind to call upon it, I do think it could be a factor. That's something that he could possibly use. Master of the Sun is great, but he's still got a lot of human frailties. He still has to use his gun. And you're going to see why I kind of bring this all up. And finally, Race to Canis is using a great James Gabsy tactic. Kudos, Race to Canis. Kudos to you. Let me get to my point number three. And Cameron, I'm actually going to use something you brought up. You know, Star-Lord has a couple, actually a few more than a couple, but there's two weaknesses that really kind of play out. And the first one, we already said, he's emotional. He gets emotional. That's actually part of his charm. The emotion comes over. He gets frustrated. He gets angry. He makes mistakes. He rushes to judgment. Regardless if he's Master of the Sun or just regular Peter Quill, whatever, this is part of his character. That's something that Spock can take advantage of 100%. But there's another weakness he has. It's a tactical weakness. And listen, I love fight strategy. I love combat strategy. I love saying, well, this person only fights here, da-da-da. Whenever I had to corner a fighter and review uh, footage, video footage of their opponent, I said, okay, so where do they go? How do they do this? And whatever. And Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, has a similar tendency. See, here's the thing. He's got the element gun. He's got all this great tech. But he loves to fight up close and personal. Ray, you said it yourself. He could grab Spock, fly him up into space. Well, he's got to get close enough to grab him. This is something Peter Quill does all the freaking time. Star-Lord does this all the time. Even the Master of the Sun gets up and close and personal with his opponents. So where am I going with this? Well, this is the thing. Spock has a couple other powers and abilities that I haven't really focused on so far. And this is where Spock's going to actually shine. So the first thing we got to talk about is Spock's telepathy. So look, it's nowhere near as powerful as, say, Professor X. I'm not even going to go there. But he can use his telepathy at close distances to influence people. So he uses his telepathy to do what was called the mind meld, which is a total joining of two minds. From this, Spock can gain what's called a deep insight into other beings' psyches. I'm using air quotes here. Or just gain tactical information from those unable or willing to communicate information otherwise. And this is done when Spock touches another's face, another person's face for total unity of thought. This is according to the Star Trek wiki. 
Star-Lord gets to get in close. Spock is going to touch him. This is going to happen. It happens a lot with Star-Lord. There's the mind meld as a possibility. He's performed the mind meld on Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, Cap- oh, Captain Picard. However, Spock also uses the lighter mind touch. And this is similar to, similar to hypnosis. And this does not require physical contact. And it mesmerizes the target into obeying commands from Spock himself. He did this against several exceptionally strong-willed people in the original Star Trek series. Uh, in one particular example, Spock is, you know, they, he, he allows himself to get arrested or put into this jail cell with Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy. There's a guard on another side of the wall that he can't even see, and he just uses this, uh, you know, mind touch to get the guard to walk over, not even know what he's doing, unlock it, you know, give Spock everything he needs, and he gets out. That is something he could totally use. But the real weapon he's got, his best fighting technique, the iconic fighting technique, is the Vulcan nerve pinch, right? So when he grabs onto someone's, you know, trap muscle or neck, whatever, or just touches them anywhere on the body, Vulcans can project energies through their fingertips. That's an official thing. And that's something he can do to anyone who gets in close. Even the Master of the Sun, who's still got human frailties, the moment he gets in close, nerve pinch. And that works great against someone like Star-Lord, who loves, again, getting in close for a fight. I have studied tons of, of comic book fights with Star-Lord. Really impressive, by the way. But again, he loves to get up close and personal. Ronan the Attacker, uh, Kree, Warriors, whatever you've got. He does this over and over. But let me cite an example. So in 1996, there was a Marvel and Star Trek crossover event. That's right. The X-Men Star Trek crossover book chronicled the first encounter between Captain James T. Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise and members of the X-Men who traveled through a dimensional rift chasing the mutant Proteus. So during that storyline, Spock has sensed the presence of the X-Men on board using his ears or what have you and confronts them directly because that's what Spock does. So this confrontation leads to Spock directly taking on Wolverine. And as Wolverine comes at him, Spock dodges the blows he attacks, Vulcan nerve pinches him and takes Wolverine out. Now, of course, this calms everyone down. Wolverine uses his healing factor to get up, but he's really woozy. It takes him a little while to do it. So according to Who Would Win Rules, Spock actually beat Wolverine. If he can do that to Wolverine, he's doing that to Star-Lord, no problem. So this is fight. here's how the fight's going to go. They're going to fire each other from a distance. Uh, Star-Lord, whatever he's got, is going to think he's got the better of him. And then his tendencies are going to come into play. He's going to get up and close with Spock. Spock's going to allow it to happen because he's a master tactician and he's logically plays the patience game. He might take on some shots, whatever. Star-Lord gets up and close, starts doing his monologue, dancing, whatever he's doing. And that's where Spock uses the mind touch, the mind meld, or the Vulcan nerve pinch takes him out right then and there, knocks him out cold, and then he studies all of his tech without touching anything because he knows better. All in all, this is a win for Spock, and that's my point number three. Absolute nonsense coming from James. Okay, a lot of things to talk about here. Yeah, Peter Quill can be put into an emotional place where he makes bad decisions. That usually involves, again, family members and somebody with prior knowledge of Peter Quill knowing how to come on after him. The mind melding. Oh, he does it against very powerful characters. You know, like random guard number two in the prison cell of the TV show. Not exactly the bastion of character that I'd be looking for for this kind of an attack. Crossovers, James. Way, way, way less weight to a Wolverine Spock on the end. What is even happening in your arguments? That is bizarre. That And, and fine. You know what? Let's just pretend like that could happen. The reason why none of this is going to work is the only time Peter Quill gets in close is because things are either he's either getting overwhelmed by a whole lot of people or uh, his attacks with the guns aren't working. 
And let's face facts, the attacks, the hurricane blasts, the earth covering of the body, the fire, all of this is going to work against Spock. And Star-Lord can fly and Spock cannot. So all Star-Lord has to do is fly above his head, projectile cosmic god bolts down at Spock and drops him that way. Spock is never going to get in close because Peter Quill tactically would know that if he has the superior firepower and Spock does not, that you just keep on shooting at him from the air until Spock stops moving. The last thing I want to leave us with, according to the Center for Applied Rationality co-founder, Julia Galef, she did a study of Spock because she said, is he really logical? Does he really make good decisions? Does he process information? According to watching every movie, TV show, everything that Spock's appeared in, 83% of the time when Spock describes an outcome as impossible... It happens 83% of the time in all of the litany of Star Trek, Spock has thought something impossible. It has happened. That means that he's going to see a lot of things as impossible in this battle. And 83% of the time, it's going to whip him square in his butt. Godlike power, starship, flight, element gun. Come on. This is over before it starts. And also, you know, Star-Lord wears a, an armor pauldron on his shoulders and neck area, so he can't even get in with the nerve pinch if he wanted to. This is over. I await the judgment. Has she watched the animated series? Highly doubt it. And why did uh, Star-Lord take on Ronan the Accuser up close when he had a gun and flight cap capability? Oh, that's right, because that's what he loves to do. Cameron Bowen. You've heard three points from Race to Canes. You've heard three points from me. Now it's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process, tell us the story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Star-Lord and Spock. It's interesting. Is this, I mean, this is a one-on-one a -on -one fight played one time, right? This is not like they fight 100 mm -hmm. times and who wins 51 nope. times, right? Once. Once. So it's hard First to time. take into account, like, you know, if he flies him into space, does, was Spock able to get away and then fall to the ground? And as you said, you know, he can survive that. It's hard to take into account, like, what would Star-Lord do? Would he try to fight, you know, up close and personal? Like, when you take, when you think about personality-wise, I think it's easier to predict what Star-Lord would do in that situation than it would be with Spock, only because I, I think that Spock would be constantly rearranging what he's doing based off of what Star-Lord's doing, right? It sounds like Star-Lord might be more powerful just with all of his toys, considering that that we're essentially, you know, Spock has the telepathy, which is, I guess, like the force kind of. He can tell people to do with what, what he wants. This is really tough. This is really a, a, a well-matched battle. And you guys both did such a great job. I feel like usually there is a clear winner. And this, this week, it is really tough. I feel like if they did it a hundred times, there might not be... A clear winner. One of them might win 51 times out of 100 or 55 or whatever, but it's that close. Um, and, you know, I think that tomorrow I might feel differently, uh, given it a, a sleep. And the next day I might feel differently. But as of today, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it to Ray. I'm going to give it to Star-Lord. Unbelievable. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and I agree with you. I do think that Star-Lord would win 51 of 55 times in this matchup. <laughs> no, I just, I, you know, Ray, I really uh, have to give it to you. I think your arguments, your arguments were so good. And you both came with a full arsenal. You both did your research. 
And uh, you did such a good job at combating each other's points and my points. I just think that given the three rounds, at the end of three rounds, now if we were to do four or five, who knows? At the end of three rounds, I do believe that Star-Lord has a better chance in a one-on-one fight, fought one time, uh, to take home the gold. And I'm sticking by it. Good job, Ray. You know what? I I, got to say something. So coming into this battle, I love taking on, you know, the clear underdog, right? And as great as Spock is, you know, Star-Lord's got, you know, the elemental gun. You know, Ray, great job bringing that up. Now he's like, you know, the master of the sun. He's got, And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool? And so my goal, of course, I wanted to win. You don't go into this without wanting to win. But the goal was at least to make this as insanely competitive as possible. That was the win I'm going for. I think you said that this was very, very competitive up until the end. Slight edge to Star-Lord, who needed an element gun and to be a master of the sun to pull off a victory against uh, Spock. I can live with that. I mean, so congratulations, Race to Canis. You won round one. All the information I got in round one made me really feel like Spock was not going to lose, considering his ability to manipulate his own thoughts. Um, because that's a huge yeah. part of any battle is if you can control your emotions, um, you're, you're probably going to come out ahead. Uh, but yeah, after three, I don't see how Star-Lord's losing. You know, it's funny, like, um, out of all the great things, and again, I put way too much research into this. The one thing that Spock is not really considered, even though people recognize he has his ability, he's not considered this ultimate fighter of Star Trek, even though I think in a fight with Worf, from the next generation, he could have totally beaten Worf, but Worf is considered, you know, this ultimate fighter. Data is considered someone who can fight really well. Spock is not at that, considered that upper echelon of combative ability, even though he can, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So this all kind of tracks in Star-Lord, especially with how he is in comics these days. Love the character. I, I, I can't disagree with your line of thinking in this judgment. Awesome. So we're all in agreement. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. We're all in agreement. Race to Canis. You got to win. It was hard fought. It was crazy. Tell us how you're feeling right now. I wish we could just all agree that I win every week and save me a lot of stress. Look, the last three battles, this one included, I felt at the end of each set of points, at the end of point number three's rebuttal, before the judge went into deliberation, in my head I said, I have a 100% chance to win this battle. I was flawless. My arguments were pristine. My presentation was a Amazing. There's no way I can lose. And thankfully, Cameron prevented me from going 0-3 in all three of those battles. <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm terrified of the, <laughs> the Ray was robbed hashtag. And that definitely played a part of it. You would have heard it had you gone with Spock <laughs> I today. Know. I you promise know, the, the, you there. The five people who use it repeatedly are very, very loud. Don't worry. The Dory, the hashtag IMF fan base kind of overcomes all. It's all good. Listen, Cameron, you are an amazing judge, uh, amazing talent overall. Thank you for coming on the show. Please come back. In the meantime, tell everyone, the Legion of Audience, our fan base, where they can find you online. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, it's my name, Cameron Bowen, B-O-W-E-N. And on TikTok, it's Cameron Bowen, V-O. And that's it. I don't have a Facebook. Very cool. Well, Legion of Audience, our fan base, please go ahead and follow uh, Cameron on TikTok and Twitter and talk about him a lot on Facebook just because that would be a cool thing to do. And I'll never see it. Race Cicadas, again, can, <laughs> the, well, you know, I think it's just good to be talked about, right? <laughs> yeah, and discuss I'll in a positive it. way. It, it can only help. It can only help, right? Race Cicadas, 
Great job in this week's victory. You got a narrow victory, which is surprising to me, but you did it anyway. You broke the losing streak. Tell the fan base where they can find you online. Over the course of human events. Here we go. We get so few chances to see observable greatness in action. One could argue that watching the Roman legions wander the countryside looking for battle was an example of that. One could say the first flight to the moon is an example of observable greatness, but it cannot under any circumstances be disputed that me today on this show was the next high point of human history in the form of observable greatness. I brought this to the house. Sorry, all you Samurai Jack fans. You're not getting him this year. Every time James wins a couple, I start seeing the rumblings online. Ooh, Ray, James, if he wins four in a row, you have to use Samurai Jack. Well, it's not going to happen. It's not ever going to happen. And I want you to take those thoughts out of your sad, sad heads. You can find me on Twitter at Almighty Ray. Hashtag Ray is right. We're having a victory Friday like none other. We're having a Star-Lord victory Friday. Take that to the bank. Take that to the bank. You tell him, Ray. <laughs> Star-Lord victory party this Friday on social media. I All just right. told well, him. Well, you know, uh, you did. That was well done. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gadzi. Of course, remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Sicanis, the Geek and Game Facebook community, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, gotta prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. Hey, it's Brent Pope, the host of Breakfast with Brent Pope. You've seen me on some of your favorite TV shows saying things like, give it up, Jimmy, you gotta sink this putt to win. On Breakfast with Brent Pope, I sit down with guests from the entertainment world and we do it all over breakfast. Or should I say breakfast? Every week on Breakfast, you get inside Hollywood info and tips, great breakfast recs and booty debates. Most of all, you get the most delightful 30 minutes of your week. So dig in. It's breakfast time. Listen at breakfast.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are found. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.